Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 255. We're back after an extended holiday season, Christmas festive, whatchamacallit. My name is Danny Murray. Whatchamacallit. Was that Christmas thingy my jig? Yeah, I'm the thingy my jig, Graham Erigan. Mero, how are you? Great, how are you? I'm absolutely loving life, 2K22. Now, 2K22. I'll leave you. Why 2K? Remember that? Why 2K? Year 2000. Yeah, yeah, I do. I remember that. I'm old enough to remember it, sadly. Graham, I'll leave you through the honours because our lovely guest is here with us straight away from the very get go. A lovely, lovely guest um, is Irish Journalist of the Year. Yippee! Journalist for the Irish Examiner, the lovely Aoife Grace Moore. How are you, Aoife? Hello. Thanks for having me back for my my hat trick. Your hat trick. So do we officially, like every bit of media and every podcast you do now, is it officially Journalist of the Year, Aoife Moore? Yep, Irish yeah. Journalist of the Year. I mean, I would prefer like Queen or something, but people really haven't been doing that. So it's just Irish Journalist of the Year. I know, but I mean, like as far as kind of titles go, I would be demanding that. Like anywhere I go, like even if I'm just booking <laughs> a restaurant or that, and I'd just be like, did, did you ask for my name? Irish Journalist of the Year, Aoife Moore. <laughs> Starbucks. What? Hazelnut latte. Yeah, well, there's a four Irish one. It's the year even more. Uh, That's me. They can't spell. Um, anytime I go into Starbucks, they can't spell my name properly. Anyway, so I might have better luck if I would done and said Irish yeah. journalist of the year. I'd love to see what they have in your cup when you say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell you what. Uh, no harm if I would done and did that in Starbucks. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't blame them if they spot it. <laughs> <laughs> so you and Paul Hosford won uh, mm-hmm. of the year. Were you buzzing or that, or was it? Like- Aye, it was mad. Like we kind of felt um, that we would win scoop of the year for Golfgate. We kind of knew that there hadn't been anything as big in terms of like the outcomes for the politicians. But the Irish Journalist of the Year award um, doesn't have a short list. It's like an overall award that the judges decide themselves. Um, and we were really shocked by that. We really didn't think um, we would get both of them. Um, so after. We won Scoop of the Year because the award show was all pre-recorded. It was because of COVID, we couldn't actually have an award show. So it was all pre-recorded. So after we won Scoop of the Year, me and Paul were like phoning our mammies and like phoning people to say, oh, we won. And then Danny, our boss, was like, "Uh, I think you should pay attention to the next award as well. And we had like, by this stage, we had like mentally checked out. And um, (laughs) then they mentioned something about the Minister for Agriculture having to resign. And I was like, Oh shit, we've won this as well. <laughs> no way. Yeah, so it was great. But um, yeah, but Dan, Dan didn't have uh, any knowledge of that, did he? Uh, I think Danny knew. I think Danny had somebody had said to Danny beforehand, but he didn't tell us. Oh. So I think he knew. So that's why he was like filming us as they were saying it. Um, but I it was mad. Just really didn't expect it. But everyone was so nice about it as well. And then, um, yeah, everyone's been so good. So I, it's been great. What did your mom say? I, my mom doesn't pay that much attention, to be honest. Like she was just, she was just like, "Oh, very good." <laughs> <laughs> like there is absolutely no chance of me ever getting above my station when it comes to my work because my mom thinks my job is the most boring, ridiculous thing in the world. So like she's so supportive, but like she can't even listen to Morning Ireland for more than like ten minutes because she's like, "No, so boring, can't be bothered." So. <laughs> So, uh, I she's uh, very supportive of me, but she can't be arsed with the news at all. 
Right, okay. If Irish Journalist of the Year wasn't enough to win her over, surely, <laughs> surely the fact that you're now Bezos and getting shout-outs from Christy Moore has to have gone... He was very, she was very excited about that. I was very excited about the Christy Moore thing. The fact that Christy Moore knows who I am freaks me out. Um, <laughs> but my ma was absolutely buzzing. She was telling me. So she doesn't, I don't know if she told many people like one Irish journalist a year, but she's told half a dairy that Christy Moore gave me a shout out. So that's where her, her priorities are. So you were, you were at Christy Moore and it was, uh, it was back home in Derry that he suitably dedicated to you on the night. Were you up to mm-hmm. giving it socks or, or were you just being trying to be cool? Or? I actually like <laughs> I, I, actually, I can vouch uh, for what she was actually like. Go on. I, I think I was in fucking pub. Sorry, cursing. Um, I think the, I was you're allowed pure... on this one. We're not morning. <laughs> I was in pure shock. Like I had a hold of Mary's arm, arm the whole way through. Been like, <laughs> what just happened? I actually, my stomach was in my throat. It was like, what is this? But no, it was great. It was amazing. I think it's one of the things I'll remember forever. The fact that Chris Dibber knows who I am is absolutely nuts. So I think can die happy now. The minute he said, um, the minute he said uh, journalism, I just gave her the elbow. And then she was like... <laughs> <gasps> Once he started talking about journalists, I turned to Meryl and I was like, what did you do? Yeah. So he, he did... What he said, Danny, was... Uh, journalism in this country uh, is great and stuff like that and he says I automatically think of Veronica Guerin Nicola Talent, Mick Clifford and uh, then he said the wonderful great Aoife, Aoife Moore and she just there bawling <laughs> <laughs> shut up and then yes, he, there uh, were Aoife, some tears Aoife, Aoife's here this evening there's absolutely nothing wrong with shedding tears I don't the same when Edward appeared in my inbox so <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Jedward messaged me as well once and I was like, this is it. I have reached the Punnigal. They, they messaged me and about three Such months nice later... Such Oh, lovely. Absolutely lovely. But they messaged me and about three months later, we were in Virgin Studios together for a few hours doing just a load of waffle. Oh, sorry, was, this, was this you just, just happened to drop in that you're now a TV star? Like you couldn't couldn't just let me have my moment as Irish journalist here. I was like, oh, by the way, I also do stuff. I'm actually the star of beloved Virgin Media One show stolen from Channel 4 Gogglebox. <laughs> I mean, I mean you're, 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 you're throwing around words of stolen there. Uh, but for the record, I will clarify any opportunity I have to bring up Gogglebox until Graham Merrigan has actually watched it, I will. <laughs> well, I've watched it, if that makes you feel any better. I've watched it all the time. Th- thanks. The fact that you haven't said you enjoyed me presence on it says a lot, so we'll move along swiftly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How did they, Danny, did, yeah. they not, did they not reach out to Jedward on the Twitter pod, but then they message you on your private account? That's exactly what happened, yeah. They said, that American lad doesn't do it for us, but your man there talking about Eurovision, that's what we're into. <laughs> so, but they acted like they didn't know who I was. I was like, lads, we were literally DMing back and forth. And they just looked at me and I was like, you DM thousands of people, don't you? And then they looked at each other. Yeah, and I think I like, they do. I think okay. they've a pretty active social media account. Yeah. It's, it's mad how much the Jedwards have grown up though, isn't it? To be fair. They're yeah. a credit to themselves though. I think they're yeah. so nice. They seem very lovely boys because like Absolutely. they were a massive pain in the arse when they were in X Factor, but like they're quite sweet now. They've yeah. got real like social consciousness now, don't they? And they're mm. giving it sucks. Yeah. Didn't they didn't they uh, post a contract or something that they got a one direction yeah, contract? They, they did a they had loads of criticism about the music industry and like how young people are used and stuff. I remember that. They hated Louis Walsh now. <laughs> 
Yeah. But um, yeah, fair play to them. Indeed. What did What did our private message say to you, Eva? To know if something just they were just being nice. They were like, "Oh, keep going, Eva," or something, something like that. And were you just kind of going, "Holy shit, Edward!" They're just up there messaging. But it was me. it was around that time where they were messaging everyone. They were like DMing everybody on Twitter, being like, "Jedward, thanks, you're great," sort of thing. So I don't feel very special. It's not customer, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's mad the way pre boosters and pre vaccines, Jedward were a shot in the arm everyone needed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's about the peak of me this evening, lads. You take away from here. That's me done. Um, that's the only lull we're getting out of Danny. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's you're 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 busy, 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 Eva. You're you've made time for us, which is very nice here. But in general, you are fucking flat out at the moment. Flat out, I. There's just a lot going on. Obviously, the dolls back now after Christmas, and then it will be, We'll have all of that kicking off. There's stormant elections now in May. And I'm also attempting to write a book. So I have a lot going on. Just as well, I have nothing in my life other than my work. <laughs> so I wouldn't get anything done. <laughs> uh, are, you, are you allowed to talk about the book? Or is it yeah, still... Yeah. yeah, okay. Right, go on. Talk yeah. to us about the book. <laughs> How's the progress going? So for, for, people, for people who are not clued in, I am writing a book um, about the rise of modern Sinn Féin in Ireland, North and South. Um, it's really interesting, like I'm learning a lot, I'm doing a lot of interviews um, and even though obviously I come from the north and I would have thought I had like a pretty good knowledge of Sinn Féin, um, yeah I am learning a lot, I haven't started writing it yet, um, I'm still in the interview stages but you know it's good, I try not to think too much about it because no one puts more pressure on me than me and I'm trying to uh, cut myself a bit of slack because if you thought about it too much you wouldn't get anything done because it's such a big project. So with but that in mind, when can I when can I read it? It'll be in bookshops. I think the aim is Halloween 2023, so everybody can buy it for their dad for Christmas. So Excellent. we'll have it. We'll have it summer 2023. Yeah, we? of course we'll get an exclusive preview. Oh, exclusive. of course. Yeah, usually getting the manuscript. Yeah, yeah, we'll get we'll get to syndicate a chapter each week or something for about a month. Yeah. Will we? I assume that's yeah. how it's going to work. Like mm-hmm. read, read exclusively by Mero. <laughs> Republicans will tune in for that alone, Graham. Let's be honest. Absolutely, I'll do the audio version. Meryl might fall out with me if I'm not nice enough about Champagne. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> Did you always have aspirations to write a book, Eva? I thought I would. I don't know. I always sort of felt that I would write a book. I was always good at English at school, mm. and I always sort of felt I would write a book. Um, but never about. I never really thought about what I would write it about. And then in the last year, year before. I had actually mulled writing a book about Mary Lou um, because I thought if it was the first female Taoiseach, if she becomes the first female Taoiseach, no one really knows anything about her. Um, so I actually had kind of that in my mind when then Penguin came to me and said that they were looking for a book about Sinn Féin, which I thought would be a, a much more interesting project. And now we know that Shane Ross is actually writing a book about Mary Lou. Shane so Ross the idea, is? Yeah, Shane Ross is writing a book about Mary Lou. Um, so the idea was stolen from me anyway. <laughs> but he is like, yeah, he's, um, I actually think it's due out next, this year. I think his book's oh. due out this year. No, I'm just advertising other people's books, but I'm not yeah. sure that's, that it is due out this year. Jesus, I didn't hear anything about that. And it's fine, because oh, I like He's on, he's he's on the Tonight Show nearly every second night, for God's sake. He's good value, though. He's, very, mm. he's quite funny. And like, he is a former minister, so he's good to have on when you're trying to like get in the kind of, 
intricacies was... of government and like he was in government with Fine Gael so he knows them all really well and he's yeah. also like a bit of a loose cannon so I think he's good TV as well I, I, I do feel though that he, he was crap as a minister <laughs> and now he's coming out on on panel shows and he's being like he can li- he's listenable as a as a panelist he's what mm. he's listenable okay as a panelist but like is that not a word it, it just uh, and you're kind of just feeling like you were a minister. I feel like you're mm. gaslighting us here. You, you did all you. You could have done these changes. You did not, what? What did you do? He opened. He reopened the garden. He was a man. He was a minister for sport. Mm. Um, remember there was that photograph of him in the state the football. I think it was the Aviva, and he had his fly was undone, and his tie was hanging out the bottom of his fly. <laughs> Like every lad at their deads. Yeah, I have to say though, like I read his book because that's the kind of uh, cool person I am. Mm. He wrote a book called um, "In Bed with the Blue Shirts" about being in government with Fiegade, and I actually really liked it. He's a really good writer. He's very good at like he, he takes the piss out of himself quite yeah. a lot. Like yeah. the the bit where he talks about that photograph, like his assistant like phoned him and was like, "Delete the photograph on Twitter. Your tie is hanging out of your fly." And she was like in panic situations, and I was like crying with laughter reading it. Like he's very good at like taking the hand on himself. So the guard station he got reopens and step aside. Step aside, yeah, yeah, yeah. step aside. That was his big uh, constituency goal, wasn't it? That yeah, he yeah. Step aside, guard station reopened. But he also uh, claimed as well that he'd see John Delaney every Saturday on the south side watching football matches. It just that didn't happen. Like. <laughs> 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 more chance of seeing you there, there is that kind of there is a type of independent person who gets elected by the Irish electorate and they have that kind of unrelatable eccentric kind of streak that Irish people seem to really love yeah, um, yeah exactly like, unrelatable you've got you need the nail on the head yeah like he is very unrelatable um and like I have a, a lot of time for Shane Ross, but yeah, he is unrelatable and he is very eccentric. I mean, there's nobody else like him at all because I think there could only be one mm-hmm. elected. But there is something about that that Irish people do have a great regard compared to other parliaments for independence. And it's a t- certain type of person, I think, that gets elected. And Shane Ross is one of those people. I think you're 100% right. I, I don't think I've ever encountered an independent that his name or her name wouldn't be followed by they're a bit of a character <laughs> you know what I mean like and it is it is very much a kind of I'm not because what they're brilliant and what they understand better than anybody is everything is local doesn't matter what yeah. it is everything is local and that's how they constantly keep getting back to the doll but to yeah. everybody outside of their constituency the, the, the politest way to look at them is with a fucking raised eyebrow but, yeah. You know, it, yeah, there's yeah, there definitely is something in that I think, and like as you say, they keep getting returned. It's rare enough that they only get one term. You know, they they get returned quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but it is it's because Ireland, Ireland's politics, the politics in the Republic is very local. You know, you know where your TD lives. You know, you'd probably drink in the same pub as them for a lot of people. So, or or you would have grown up with them, and they would have been on the council before. Yeah, and I think that's one of the best things about Irish politics is that, you know. Michael D. Higgins is like queuing for an ATM and the Taoiseach, you know, stands and talks to people at funerals. You know, like anyway, I think that's the best thing about it. I would hate that if they got so removed from the people because I think Leinster House is already a bit removed 
from what ordinary people and their lives are like. So I think I just want it to get any worse. What are what are the bad things then about it? About Leinster Highs? Just about p- politics, I suppose. You know what you were saying there. It's about- like all the obvious stuff. Like there's like Leinster House is the whitest place on air. You know, it doesn't reflect Irish society. Like the only person of colour in the doll is Leo Farragher. There's I'm not even sure do we have have we ever had a disabled TD? I don't think so. No, we had a senator, but a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And like yeah, there's not enough young people, there's not enough women. You know, it, it's not, and like this isn't an Irish problem. You know, it's the same in parliaments um, in most of Europe, um, apart from, you know, the good countries like Scandinavia. But um, yeah, it just doesn't look enough like Ireland and we're never going to reflect society if the politicians don't look like society. But I would also argue that I know they get paid an awful lot of money, but it is a totally thankless job. It's not something I think I could do. Women especially get a really hard time with it. And if you don't live in Dublin, you know, it's three days a week. It's a lot of driving and you're living in a hotel three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. What does that do for families? What does that do for women who want to have children? Like Holly Cairns, I think, lives the furthest. And she's like five hours from Dublin because she's in like West, West, West Cork. And she gets to drive 10 hours a week and live in a hotel for three days. Like, yeah, she gets paid a lot of money. But that's no life. No, it is not life. We need, I, she, I think, he's an absolutely brilliant politician. I was going to say, we need about 15 Holly Cairns in the doll. Yeah, we could do like, a lot more Holly Cairns's. Cairns's? Cairns's? Cairns's. Cairns's is, we'll have to actually ask her what is the correct plural. It's like stadium and stadia, is it? <laughs> Just take the uh, take the S off it and just have her as a Holly Cairn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you know, octop- octopus, octopoi, Holly Cairn. I, I don't. Hi, Holly Cairn. Do you know? You know, like I think Holly Cairns has has got a uh, great uh, publicity and and she's done really. She's very outspoken and she's been brilliant. Um, but when you look at the polls and you see social the Social Democrats. They don't seem to be progressing at all, like in the polls. They kind of stagnate around six yeah. percent um, for a lot of it, and it's it's strange because I really believe that every they've six TDs and every single one of them is a really good performer in the doll. Um, you wouldn't look at, and this is the thing with smaller parties is that you can't really have a dud because it's very obvious when you do. You know, there's duds in Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, and Sinn Féin, but. The smaller the parties, you know, the duds are less likely to get uh, elected. But I think the thing with Social Democrats is, I think, no, I don't know, this is me completely guessing, but I would say that they do seem to be a very kind of Dublin, Wicklow, Kildare type party. They haven't really, like, branched out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, further afield. And then I think as well that, like, people automatically just tie them to the Labour Party, even though, you know, the Social yeah. Democrats are actually more popular than the Labour Party. I think they reflect Ireland much more um, than the Labour Party. But I do think there's this kind of notion with certain Irish people that they're kind of the same thing. And I think the media does perpetuate that. Like, every single press conference, like, start a year press conference, start a Christmas press conference, thank an annual conference, one journalist will always ask Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shortall when he's going to join up with the Labour Party. And yeah. it is so, like, they laugh when it's asked because it's like, stop asking this question. Like, 
it doesn't benefit anybody. They're their own party. And I think they have done incredibly well to go from starting a party out of nowhere, go from two TDs to six TDs. And then people are still banging on about the Labour Party. So I can understand why it must be frustrating for them. But yeah, I don't know. We interested to see in the next election because a lot of the votes, as if, if the polls are currently anything to go off, we know Sinn Féin are going to do incredibly well. But I think the smaller parties that would people would transfer to, like the Social Democrats, are going to suffer a bit. Because if yeah. Sinn Féin run two candidates or three candidates in some constituencies, them transfers just aren't going to be there for, for the Social yeah, Democrats yeah. and Labour and, and people for profit. So it'll be interesting to see. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about... Um, maybe, I think as well, people are really looking for radical change. And maybe they feel like the, the, the Social Democrats don't offer that at the in, moment. In terms, of, um, in terms of COVID over the last two plus years, whatever, we're coming up to two years in March, um, has it been hard hard to work hard to report um i know we you know we touched on the golf gate story which was absolutely excellent reporting but has um has it been hard to seek accountability from those in power when those in power never wished of you know running it, running the country while through a mm, pandemic it's once yeah, in a it, situation it is hard like even practically it's hard you know press conferences have been limited you know when we've had limited numbers um of press allowed then it means you've got limited questions because there's not enough time and you know not everybody can attend and then there's different things like i was saying the other day to somebody actually if a politician doesn't want to answer the phone they don't have to and because we've all been at home they can avoid your calls all they want it's different when you're standing outside the canteen and you corner them and they can't get away from you. So that was something that was lost um, in COVID. The best stories are the stories that you hear somebody passes you in the corner and says, here, did you hear this? But you're, you can't whisper when you're wearing a mask and you're six feet away from somebody, you know what I mean? So that kind of notion of hearing something as a bit of gossip and then reporting on it once you dig into the story, that all got a bit harder. But I think... The Irish media, especially in the last year, has really adapted. I think um, we've seen some absolutely excellent journalism, um, especially from younger Irish journalists in the last year. So I think it's definitely been a learning curve and it's not something I am very keen <laughs> to keep going. But um, you just, it's like everybody else, everybody had an app. Nobody wanted to be in COVID-19, like sitting on your sofa, watching the lit lit, drinking wine and crying for a year. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I did last time, like, so I imagine everyone else is the same. Oh, God. I find that concept crazy that you'd be, like, walking down the corridor, you might see a TD, and you might hear a bit of gossip on the corridor, and then that's, that's your lead potentially into a story. That's just, I've never thought of it like that. That's mad. That's where the best stories come from. It's never from a press release. It's from somebody saying, oh, did you hear this? And it mightn't be a TD. It might be a staff member. It might be one of the ushers or security men in Leinster House, you know, you hear stuff everywhere, like, but that definitely, Leinster House was like a ghost town um, for a year. So that was definitely harder. But as I say, you know, everybody adapts. And I would also say that we used to complain during lockdown that because all the politicians were stuck in their houses, they were all behaving themselves. <laughs> yeah. So there was less, uh, less gossip to write about. But still... 
always a story out there though and uh Golfgate, which Irish journalist of the year you got and scoop of the year. Am I saying mm-hmm. that right? Am I am yeah. I saying that right? I am. Yeah, okay. Uh I'm gonna keep milking that as much as I can in this interview. Just uh, yeah. But the the Golfgate story, I think like and I know you've probably talked about it that you're probably sick about talking to it or sick of But she's sick of it because she has imposter syndrome that we're trying to <laughs> develop out of her. <laughs> 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 I think that's natural everybody has a bit of imposter yeah, and everybody's yeah, waiting yeah. for the hand on their shoulder is, like, it, is it not modesty though? I think a lot of it is the kind of background I come from and like people like me aren't supposed to be Irish yeah. journalists when, when, you, when, when you say that hold it, on your, your cousin's yeah. Paddy McCart so he's <laughs> a sensational footballer so it's in the family like I know but I'm not playing football <laughs> yeah but you're or shortness of the year, thank you. But um, yeah, I do think it is. A lot of it comes from that kind of working class thing. Is like you need to be twice as good, and that also being a woman and being young. Do, do you, part of it as well, you have to be twice as good to get any recognition. Do you sometimes? And uh, I'm, I'm maybe not phrasing this question properly. Like, and I, like in my opinion, you're one of the best journalists in the country. So I don't want this question to come across that I'm one of the dickheads on Twitter saying the fuck are you doing kind of thing. But like. Do you sometimes, in your own head, question your seat at the table? Oh, yeah, all the time. You know, like, people asking me or saying stuff. You know, people say, like, really lovely things mm. um, about my work. And then you don't really take any in of the good, but you take in a lot of the negative. And also, I, keep, I hold myself to, like, this insane standard. Mm. So, like, immediately after Golfgate came out and, you know, there were all the resignations and all the hoo-ha, I said to Paul, like, on the Monday, I was like, oh shit, what if we've peaked? <laughs> like, <laughs> we were like, we've peaked too early now. I was like, we've done something too good too fast. And then you're always chasing the next thing because not only do you think, oh, I need to get the next thing, but people, I, you start thinking like, what if people say, oh, she hasn't done anything since Golfgate. So you're always trying, and you're only at war with yourself. Like no one else is saying this to me, like, but it's all in your own head. And I think like, you're always trying to, prove yourself and it's a bit of like a competitive thing as well you know like after the story about Marion Gate came out um Philip Ryan who I argue probably breaks the most stories out of anyone in Irish journalism um said the Marion Gate story I didn't speak for like an hour because I was so furious that I didn't get that story (laughs) I was so annoyed at myself even though I didn't know anything about it and I couldn't have got it but that's the sort of way that I am. Like, I just constantly have to be on to the next thing. And that's why the book is so daunting, because I really want the book to be good, because no one holds me to a higher standard than I do myself. And always have done. I'm very, um, very hard on myself. Danny, um, it's, worth, which, it's, worth, it's worth noting as well, Danny, that um, not only did he forget a shout-out by Christy Moore uh, last Monday, but he also... He has included Golfagate in his song, uh, Delirium Trimmings, where he mentions mm. uh, a passage about playing golf with Phil Hogan, Seamus. <laughs> yeah, immortalized and song like. Immortalized and song like. But it's interesting because when um, me and Danny spoke to Christy Moore on the podcast a couple of years ago, we asked him, um, you know, uh, when did you kind of like this man is performing six, 60, 50, like 60 years? Mm. And we asked him, uh, when did you feel like, you know, you were good and you mm. were, like, important to people? And he said 2008. 
like, what the fuck? Yeah, but then like, you can't. But they are excited with us. They're like, well, I want Irish journalist the year show. Am I going like, to like run around now believing my own bullshit? Like, yeah, you that's exactly. Yeah, you we, can't. We won't, we won't you sound like your mom now. You sound like Lorraine now. Hang on, hang on. We, we won, we won. And when I say we won podcast of the year, it was a very, very, very small was, website. Was the was the judging panel your two mask? Right. It, yeah. if, it was, if it was, we wouldn't have won. My man would have voted for somebody else. <laughs> right. I'm still living off that. Yeah. I'm, I'm well, still, you should. So, like, that, that's that's a nothing. Do you know what I mean? And yet, here you are with a two scoop of the year and that. And you're still like, and in one sense, it's admirable in terms of like you're saying it's, you know, I'm not, I can't rest on that. It's on to the next thing. It's the point. Like that hunger is deadly. But like, Jesus, at least did you at least pour like a massive glass of wine to be like I'm fucking deadly for at least five minutes? Like, I didn't. I didn't sober up. The awards were on the Thursday <laughs> night. I don't think I sobered up to the Tuesday. Lovely. I, I, right, I was yeah. never ever fear. But I know how to have a good time. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> I, went that, on, I went on Claire Byrne the next day and I was not an energetic <laughs> contributor to that program. <laughs> <laughs> you know when that story's breaking, like, are you, like, and the information, before it's gone to print and the information's coming to you and Paul, are you kind of just like, what the fuck? He's like high-fiving each other. Thinking. Yeah, no, not at all. Because the panic just sets in. You're so stressed about someone else getting the story. You're so stressed that you've messed something up in the story, that there's a detail you haven't checked. Like, Paul at one point said to me, if I think they're going to have to resign. And I was like, I hadn't even considered that. I hadn't even considered the outcomes because I was so far deep and deep. Crossing every T and dotting every I and making sure we had it right. Because we were accusing people of something did you have to go to the league team and the examiner as well like to get clearance oh, I, like yeah everything like that has to be legal do we have mo- most newspapers have a solicitor on staff who reads the paper before it goes out because you have to you have to be incredibly careful we know what the defamation laws are like in ireland as well so you have to be really really careful um because yeah it's not it's also not me and paul that are paying the money if the examiner sued it's the examiner that's paying it so yeah you love there's a lot of pressure and you do love on your nerves and um but we did we did really got got to enjoy golf game and we got not the actual i don't like the thought of people losing their jobs but um people were very good days uh people were very congratulatory especially other journalists um mm-hmm. i think they were pleased it was two young journalists and you know kind of people who weren't as well known yeah i, I think got it, it, so people well. were great it was great as well that it was the examiner because the examiner over the last sort of three years or whatever has kind of it's 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 because, like, I know the joke used to be kind of like the Cork Examiner, and it still is mm. the Cork Examiner kind of thing. But it's become, I think, one of the heavyweights now in terms of that. And it is young journalists that are driving that. Yeah. And, but, like, the Examiner has always had a reputation of being the kind of social, the, the paper with, like, a social conscience. Mm. And um, that's what really attracted me to do it. Um, and I would also say, like, the biggest change is that they hired an editor who is really young to be an yeah. editor. Um, Tom Fitzpatrick is... I don't know, he's somewhere around 40, which is incredibly young for a national newspaper editor. He's incredibly interested in climate change, social issues. He leads from the front and he's hired, they have hired a really diverse mix of people. Because mm. um, that's what I said about politics is exactly how I feel about politics is how I feel about journalism is that we can't all look the same and sound the same because we are not going to reflect 
society and the examiner we are a miscellaneous bunch <laughs> <laughs> but it works it works for us even in the politics team you know we're gender split so there's myself and elaine lachlan and then danny the political editor and, and paul hosford and we all come from incredibly different backgrounds you know like me and elaine would have had completely different upbringings same as um, paul and danny completely different upbringings but we all have our own specialist kind of subjects we only have our niche kind of areas that we look at and i think that's why it works because it's a good spread and that goes across the news desk and stuff as well. You know, we have fellas on there who are cork to their bones, you know, everything that happens in cork. And then we have young female journalists who are 21, 22 doing, you know, investigations on the trans healthcare and stuff like that. So like there is, I think journalism and politics are only better when there's a diversity of people and, Absolutely. Uh, and the offices. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think like one, one of the things you mentioned earlier on talking about kind of what the politicians, whatever, was that the word accountability came up. And I think when, when you said about Golfgate there and you're like, I, I don't like to think about people losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that's what people celebrated though, but it was just no. nice to have that moment of accountability. Because yeah. like if you look at what's going on now, accountability in Irish politics is lacking. Like. I know, yeah, mm-hmm. that, and that's it. But I think if you look at what's going on across the, the pond at the minute, and I know, like as we're recording this, uh, yeah, yeah. maybe walking to you know to 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 his impending doom because the report has been handed in, hasn't it? As of this evening, long will he? Well, it depends. I, uh, honest to God, lads, like he's made a teflon. Oh, like, how many child, how many children is she going to have to pop out so they distract the entire nation? <laughs> that this fella is a bumbling idiot. Like, um, I read a bio just, about him. It's not, it's not, it's not that as well, right? Because I think people complain, always complain about there's no accountability in Irish politics, and there is a serious lack of it. But mm-hmm. when you look at the swiftness of what happened after Golfgate, exactly, and then you look across the Downing Street, you know, this is the old empire these these people once ran the world and they had more parties in lockdown than i went in freshers week when i was a student like <laughs> the actual disrespect for the nhs which is easily hands down the greatest thing that the united kingdom has ever produced is the nhs and the absolute disrespect for people and their loved ones in the pandemic is the thing that bothers people the most and i actually don't know if the conservatives will come back from this um I, I know, I hope I, the only yeah. reason the only reason that they're not further down the pools is because people have no time for the british labor party either well that yeah but it's just it's baffling to me that like when you think back to a year ago or, or maybe a little bit less than a year ago i can't remember when the the scottish cmo or the, the equivalent mm. had to resign for going to her private holiday home with her own family because it broke the, yeah. the, the rules that were in place at that time and here's Boris and Co seemingly on their 17th life like it's a fucking computer game and they just keep levelling up it literally like. is their 17th yeah. life right. it's uh, incredible how he's still going and as I said by the time this goes out maybe he won't be but the, the bio that I read of just about the uh, Eva's comment there about his partner having another child hmm. for the distraction I read a, a pretty up to date article about him and it was kind of retrospect looking at him and the author of the article didn't know factually how many kids he had. He, but, he, but he won't admit it's it, will he? he won't this, this is up for, yeah, it is, it's up for debate. It is up for debate. He's never confirmed. The, the, the author of the article said, as the best of my knowledge, he has seven kids. 
but it's not that like and like what people what people's like politicians personal lives is really none of my concern i think Mm. ireland and irish journalism is the better is better for the fact that we don't talk about people's kids we don't talk about people's wives but i would say i would say that a man who neglects his responsibilities to his children is not a man that should be running the country in a pandemic or any other thing. It's also a man who was sacked from his job in a newspaper for lying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he was sued. He was sued. You know, and like he's, he's being caught on the hook I don't know how many times with this sort of stuff. And so like that, when it comes to things and people sort of saying, well, surely... If there's accusations out there about you being up to all sorts and, you know, I just don't know how, I completely agree with your point around, like, you know, the, like politicians are entitled to private lives. A million percent. I'm still baffled about the whole thing of, like, that in Ireland, you can look up the politician's actual home address. I just think mm-hmm. it's crazy. But I just, there's something about Boris where I'm like, fuck it, how is he still going? <laughs> But, like, is it, is it, it fair? Is, it no, was kind not. of that, like, swift kind of descent and that kind of toxic nationalism as well in, in mm. around Brexit um, and playing on people's fears about immigration. And, you know, Boris kind of represents proper Englishness, you know, privately educated. His dad was privately educated and grew up in an incredibly wealthy family and, like, the best about it is, like, there was northern mining towns who voted for the Conservatives oh. in that election and voted for Boris. So something is deeply wrong because yeah. these are people who are actively voting against their own interests. The north of England has been totally neglected by the Conservative government, successive Conservative governments. So I do think that Brexit and everything around it has kind of poisoned their kind of collective national mentality away. And, like, you're also seeing that, like with Freddie Patel, like the Home yeah. Secretary and the the kind of policy she's bringing in, it's so inward looking. It's so little Britain, you know, in a time where countries like Ireland and Canada and Germany and are trying to, you know, become more global and open their doors, and everyone's trying to be a bit more progressive. America under Trump, and then um, sorry, does that go off? Okay. America America under Trump and Britain under Boris seems to have gone backwards. And I think it is interesting that these are two former superpowers, two former huge, huge superpowers. And they've decided to regress while smaller countries are going out of their way to do anything but not be like <laughs> America and, and Britain. It's definitely a step change. It is. Yeah. And like... When we look at stuff like that, and, and, and I suppose the topic there was about accountability and Boris and stuff like that, and Peter Patel, closer to home, like, is, is COVID on his last life? Is, like, in terms of what's going on there, is it, com- I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking is it com- uh, comparable as such, but sometimes you do find that people... Uh, there, are certain, there are certain people who are too big to fail, and I think Fine Gael have decided that Simon Coveney is too big to fail. Simon Coveney is Mr. Brexit. I would say for all of his missteps in the last year, there couldn't, there couldn't have been a better foreign affairs minister during Brexit. He it was incredibly dedicated uh, to the job. He knows everything inside out. He has great relationship uh, in Europe with the people who matter. He's not one, you know, to fly off the handle. And I, 
you must have the patience of a saint to try and deal with the Britain's Brexit negotiators. You know, they're trying to rearrange a deal that they organised. You know, it must be so frustrating. Like, if that was me, I'd be going off my head. So I do think they have decided he is too big to fail. I would say he's gotten very sloppy in the last year. They, you know, this is now the third time he's going to be in front of the Foreign Affairs Committee trying to answer for what he did. I think he did get a bit complacent. I think not calling for an investigation and the Champagne Party at the time was a huge mistake. What he also seems to have an issue with is not dealing with things properly in the press when they happen. Um, this is also a Sinn Féin tactic, so I don't know I don't know how pleased he would be about having that in common with him, but um, leaving things to the last possible minute that you can reply or making out that something isn't a big deal when people are clearly upset. It's not good press strategy, but it's something I've noticed quite a bit with Simon Coveney. You know, remember that famous interview you had with Brian Dobson about the Zipone issue, and he said, don't be trying to make this into a story. You know, Awful. That's the journalist. That's that the journalist is like a red yeah. rag devil. So I do think he maybe got a bit. I don't want to say cocky, but a bit complacent, in that he knew he was very important. He's very important to him when it comes to foreign affairs and Brexit, and he just took his eye off the ball when it came to, you know, everything else where it was appointing Catherine Zappone. He obviously never considered what it looked like, um, and then obviously with Champagne Gate as well, that was has been a disaster for him. You know, even after Sapone thing, no deleting messages and saying he was doing it for memory and then he's doing it for security and no one believed him. It came off as really sloppy. The memory so one think, was hilarious. The memory thing yeah. was terrible. Then like, he like. said, do you remember then he said he was hacked? Yeah. But then that would have been a security issue and he said, oh no, I yeah. wasn't hacked. <laughs> you know, that, that's what I mean. Like, like when when you look at the, when you look at the, um, the, say, I'm just using Twitter now as a discussion point, when you look at the people that I follow that, that follow politics, and a lot of people's attention is like taking the piss out of the Conservative Party in Britain for doing X, Y, and Z. And I'm and, and whilst I agree, I'm kind of going, but like look closer to home, look at Coveney. Mm. You know, that the hacking thing what, what he said about his phone was just ridiculous. It was it and, was, and it was ridiculous. It, and then like what you're saying there about um you think Fina Gale probably think he's too almost too big of a personality mm. to to just punish, so to speak. Like, even look at Leo Varadkar about, like, he's still under criminal investigation. You yeah, know, and we're pointing fingers at the British Conservative Party when the Irish Conservative Party are doing probably the, the, the exact same, not repeatedly like Boris is on a 17 life. Do you know that way? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's like, it's just like, come on, like, lads, we need more accountability here. I'm not, like, I just think with the dialogue on Twitter about people constantly slagging the British Conservative Party. I think we just need to look closer to home for accountability. Yeah, we mm-hmm. had people uh, owning up uh, post-golf guy, owning up after uh, an extended period of, you know, it wasn't my fault type of thing. Seamus Wolf didn't, did he still did doing what he was doing. Um, and Leo Varadkar, as I said, on the criminal investigation, I just think that's crazy. Like, like if, if, if any, if a person in opposition to Leo Varadkar was in a criminal investigation, while being the leader of the country or the second in command, he would, of course he'd be looking for him to step down until the criminal investigation had had you know uh, finished. 
I would also make the point that uh, in the last government when he was Taoiseach, Dennis Nocton had to st- stand down over the broadband issue because the optics were so badly over Edgar made the point that the optics didn't look good and his position was untenable. I can't imagine why he thinks that the optics have been under con- criminal investigation. So yeah, um, the point is often made to me um, by Fianna Fowlers and Fianna Gators that if this was anyone else other than Leo Regger, he would not be in the job. We are now actually staring down the barrel. I don't know how long this investigation is going to go on for, but we are now staring down the barrel of the fact that he's supposed to become the Taoiseach again in December. What if the guards haven't decided that they're done yet? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what, what, what happens then? So I've spoken to Fine Gael ministers and TDs and I've asked them and they all seem incredibly confident that nothing's going to come out of this but they really want it to be finished up really mm-hmm. soon like they feel like it's been going on for a long time but I would also say that the guards are in a really unenviable position because they need to be seen to be turning over every stone that there was no favoritism there was no uh, any outside meddling they need to really make sure that they have looked at everything so I think the guards are in a really tough spot as well because people are always going to complain no matter what the outcome is um you know I've seen the visceral kind of feelings there is towards politicians and Leo Ragger gets some horrendous um abuse I even notice that there's certain politicians that if you write a story about them or, or, or their quotes or something your mentions are immediately flooded with like horrible mm. abuse you know Leo Ragger is one of them Mary Lou McDonald is another. Um, so it's, a, but it's, yeah, I, I think it's absolutely mad that the Tanisha is still under criminal investigation oh, and yeah. he's still the Tanisha. Yeah, I, uh, I, as you said, they're going to have to, I, I just can't, I just can't picture a world where a sitting Taoiseach is under a criminal investigation and has been for at that point, what would be well over a year. Yeah. Um, I also, really want somebody to launch a criminal investigation into Fianna Fáil ruining Wardle yesterday. <laughs> like, can we have nothing anymore? I don't know who's on their social media team, but whoever did that, they ruined it for me. That's the thing. That's the thing with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. What I find on social media, when they try to jump on something that's going trendy, they get absolute slaughtered. Uh, and it's kind of like, who is running their account? Just let us have something. Just let us have that yeah. cute, innocent game. That's all it was. Politi- politics doesn't have to be cool and edgy and funny and Simpsons memes. You know what exactly. I mean? Like you don't. If that's not what you're about, it's not what you're about. You don't because when you try and do it, and it doesn't work. It's just not. It doesn't come off the same. Like it's, imagine like the social democrats like tweeting like Simpsons memes or something. Like it's not. You're not. That's not the audience for these guys. Like don't be doing that. Like I can yeah. understand. Ogre Sinn Fein if a whatever you think of it, but they really understand the social media side of it. They understand the memes and all that. And like, that's fair enough, right? That's their thing. But it, I, I kind of despair at times with some of the other parties of their social media because it's like, you don't have to be cool and edgy. People just want like tangible outcomes in their life and good policies. Like, don't be worrying about the substance. Of Absolutely. Exactly. Like, leave that sort of stuff to the Lidl and Domino's accounts who mm-hmm. do a great job of it. Can you lads just concentrate on doing what you're actually supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. Not ruining Wardle, solving a housing crisis. That'd Absolutely. be fantastic. Do either of you see a, a general election happening before it's supposed to happen? No. 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 Nobody wants it. I just feel it. like nobody wants it. 
And they're Liam not going to. Bragger is Diane Dubitishik again. Um, Fina Fall don't have anyone to replace me, Hall Martin, even if they wanted to. Um, so I think they'd be quite happy um, to kind of batter on now until what, 2024, 2025? Yeah, I think mm. so as well. I just can't see. N- neither one of those two big parties want to tear it down because they'll be handing an open net to Sinn Féin at the moment. And that's the last thing they want to do. Yeah. And it's mad because they, like, the likes of the, 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 the old schoolers in Fianna Fáil are, that I've seen, uh, I've seen Jim O'Callaghan, Eamon O'Quive, um, Willie O'Dea. The, the more stuff time goes on, they're kind of more open. I think they're just following the polls and they're more open now to a working government in the next government, say, with, with Sinn Féin. So it, it, it's, it will be funny to see how it, to see if Mary Lou will be the first lady Tisha because I think she... Oh, okay. Sorry, did you quantum leap here from 1950? <laughs> first lady Tisha? <laughs> I did not. First woman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know why I said lady. I don't know why I said lady. God, what next lady T-shirt? There'll be lady fireman, and lady, <laughs> lady, lady doctor, lady McDonald's. Oh God! <laughs> oh, I flew to London um, the other day. It was a lady pilot. Can you believe that? <laughs> oh, God. oh God! Jesus. Oh not what I meant. He was absolute tramps. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think actually, I know. I think it's quite strange when you're watching the polls because the Champagne seem to be on kind of an upward trajectory. And even though I would say Champagne are incredibly, um, I don't think accident prone, gaff prone. Um, I think a lot of the time, you know, Fianna Fáil and Fianna don't even have to do anything because Champagne walk in the rakes all the time totally avoidable stuff talk um, about Simpsons memes I know um, like they're like sideshow Bob you know just walking <laughs> on the rakes all the time um, they have got a bit better they have like a lot more streamlined um, in the way um, that they carry themselves but yeah it'll be really interesting now to see because realistically um, the pandemic's nowhere near over but we're not in the same situation we were last year and everything is going to come back to housing Housing is the main issue. No one, there is nothing else that people vote on now other than housing. And it seems that there is no one uh, biting at Owen O'Brien's heels. You know, there's no one who is impressing people more. And like, I think Sinn Féin know that. I think uh, Owen could do and say whatever he wants now in the next couple of years because he knows that he's going nowhere in that role and Sinn Féin know that too I'd say he's treated like a wee golden egg in that place because um, that's what's going to be won the election for them because I don't believe that people are seeing tangible outcomes in housing from Darrell O'Brien and that's all that people really care about at the moment You know you're saying about the gaffes there um, the they have responded okay to the gaffes though haven't they like the Paddy Houlihan thing I thought they, they handled very well Um the, but I would also say um, they obviously did not research Paddy Hulahan before 
he joined. That was the issue there. The, that was the, the party, issue there. you know, because the issue was a lot of people when the party thing happened said, "Yeah, of course that happened." <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was one of he them. He obviously he was invited. I know for a fact that elected officials in Sinn Féin told the party leadership that he was not a very good candidate and that it was something that he would need to watch. But, you know, there is a big draw in technically celebrity candidates or whatever. Um, I would also say that their most recent gaffe was about Jerry Adams and the Christmas card was not handled properly. Um, I think when it comes to legacy issues and the history of the IRA, they need to get on a better page because they are all over the shop. Um, you're either sorry or you're not. Yeah. Um, and the way they uh, deal with it at the minute is not very professional and it is not very respectful, um, I think, a lot of the time to victims of IRA violence. So stuff like that, they would need to get on the same page. You know, you're either, like as I say, you're either sorry or you're not. And uh, I think this kind of mealy moist it's only a joke type stuff when things like this happen. Um, we saw it in an election too with David Cullinan, you know, shouting what he shouted um, yeah. and then saying, you know, it was only a joke and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's um, Desi Ellis as not, well. It's, it's not funny um, and it's very hurtful. And if we are looking, as we probably are at Sinn Féin in government in Dublin, this is the sort of stuff that's going to haunt them. Um, because you know there are a lot of victims who feel incredibly hard on by it, and so they should. So they would need to get a better strategy, I think, for legacy. I've thought this for a long time. When it comes to legacy issues, um, they haven't really decided on what they their line is, and it's only going to get worse as they get more popular. What did you think of their um, change of stance in the special criminal court? I thought it was cynical politics. <laughs> I thought, and I said as much to Mary Lou, um, I said that it very much looks from the outside that you don't want to have to argue about the Special Criminal Court coming in to the next election with Fine Gael because it's a stick that Fine Gael can use to beat Sinn Féin with because it harks back to the time where Sinn Féin were inextricably linked to the IRA um, and members of the IRA were up in front of the Special Criminal Court. So Fine Gael can use that and their... Uh, Fianna Gael can use Sinn Féin's uh, objection to the Special Criminal Court to remind people where Sinn Féin came from. So they've decided to go against the United Nations and Amnesty International and the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. If you talk to any solicitor in Dublin, they will tell you that the Special Criminal Court is the most human rights adverse thing that you can think of. And Sinn Féin decided they were going to change their stance on it because to me, it very much appeared that they didn't want to row about Fine Gael. Makes no with sense. With Fine Gael about it. And it's, incre- I just find it incredibly cynical. I think I am incredibly proud to be Irish. But one of the biggest things that embarrasses me about being Irish is a special criminal court. It is something that should have been away 20, 30 years ago if it ever should have existed in the first place. It is not in any way conducive to people's human rights. Yeah. And there are other ways, and they have do, and they do it in other countries, with gangland, with terrorism, with those kinds of cases. We do not have to do it this way. Juryless trials are not the way to do it. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I, Absolutely. I, I was kind of like, it just didn't make sense. Like you, like you listed the Amnesty, Civil Liberties, all the organisations you mentioned, and it's like. 
you were spouting that in previous general elections in your support, and now twenty twenty one, you're like going against that. It just it, I I completely agree with you. Yeah, I think yeah, Sinn Féin want to separate themselves from their history with the provisional IRA, which is totally understandable. But I don't think other people's human rights should be thrown under the bus in order for you to do that. And it is now actually the only party in the Republic, as far as I know, along with people before profit, the only two parties who are openly against the Special Criminal Court is the Green Party and people before profit. Yeah. Um. Bloody Sunday 50 is coming mm-hmm. up this weekend. Um, talk to us a bit about that and what's happening Aye. in Derry. Aye, so it's 50 years this Sunday um, since Bloody Sunday um, in 1972 um, when 13 men were killed outright um, and another man died later from his injuries. I say men, uh, a lot of them were boys, a lot of them were still um, teenagers, children. Um, so this is the 50th anniversary. There's an entire week, week's worth of program going out. You know, there's talks. Um, we do this every year. The Body Sunday Trust organizes this every year, but this is the biggest one, obviously, because it's 50 years. Um, you know, there's premieres, documentaries, there's um, conferences. Damien Dempsey is playing a concert. Um, so there's a lot on. It's all about um, the theme is One World, One Struggle. So there's a big international element of people coming in from other areas of conflict around the world to talk about their experiences, um, which was always a kind of big thing that the Bloody Sunday families did. They often would have people from Colombia or wherever else to come over and talk. So that's a big part of it. Um, it will be quite tough. I actually think that this Sunday kind of marks like a finality to it. Um, this has gone on since 72. You know, we had the Savile Inquiry in 98. Um, and then even up until, you know, until last year, um, we were the families were still fighting to get any of the soldiers in front of a court, in front of a judge. We know that that's not going to happen. And we also know that the British government are planning on an amnesty um, in regards to the, the troubles in Northern Ireland. So I do think this will be the biggest one uh, in Derry, the biggest event that we've had. But I think it will be the last. Um, I don't think we'll ever see anything as big. The march might still go on because the march has went on on every year since Bloody Sunday. But I don't think um, we'll see anything more like this. And it is, it's sad in a way. Um, but people are getting old, you know. And yeah. like my my auntie Eileen, um, who died a few years ago, she was the last Bloody Sunday widow, um, the last surviving Bloody Sunday widow. So all the widows are now dead. Um, and the children of the men who were murdered are in their 60s. Um, so it is, there is a finality to it. But um, again, I'm looking forward to it. I think the Bloody Sunday families, the Bloody Sunday Trust, um, the Bloody Sunday campaign is one of Derry's proudest uh, achievements. I think um, our wee town uh, decided that we were not going to lie down and take this and made the British government um, maybe not atone for what they did, but admit they what they did, and it's it's a lot more than other people in the north get. Absolutely, yeah, and not only that, it was wasn't it Cameron that apologised? Mm-hmm. Uh, David Cameron said, was, "Yeah, unjustified and unjustifiable." Um, is how the British Prime Minister described the actions of the British Army on Bloody Sunday, and I think that's probably the best way 
uh, to put it. It's probably a modest way yeah. of putting it as well, considering what we know about the day itself. Um, but yeah, it's something I'm incredibly proud of. I think most dairy people are incredibly proud of the Bloody Sunday Justice campaign because um, it has been an open wound in dairy for a long time. Um, the legacy of Bloody Sunday stretches over generations. Um, so yeah, I think this is kind of the culmination of it now, but it will be hard. But I think in some ways it'll be a type of closure for some of the families as well. Um, because as we know, I think I think we all kind of know that we're not going to see any soldiers prosecuted. No. Um, so this is kind of a type of closure as well. I, was, I thought it was nuts when I read that um, Boris Johnson was putting through that amnesty thing. Just like, I wasn't you... surprised. They had tried everything and anything. It, it, it's real national, like you were saying previously in the conversa- our conversation. It was, it's real. It's really a decision based on stoked up masculinity aggression over mm. Brexit and nationalism. I've always thought this as well. That like I remember always thinking to myself, right? It's the paratroopers came on them by Sunday and, and murdered uh, all around them. Boys, 17-year-old boys and men shot them in the back. And the British government and the British, it felt to me at the time, a lot of the British public backed them, the health back, the soldiers. And even as a child, I always thought, like as an Irish person, like when I think of like the defence forces, that if one of our defence forces, or even just one of them, was over in wherever they are, in the Lebanon or whatever, and did that, I wouldn't want them in the defence forces because I would think, well, you don't represent me. I don't want you representing me. It was always a very alien thing to me, but you are right. Um, it's a kind of nationalistic uh, type of mindset that I just don't have um, because for me, you know, they're supposed to represent you. Um, and I always, even when you're saying it to people, it's like Bloody Sunday was done in your name. You know, it was done in, in the name of the people in England um, because the British Army were to represent them. Uh, in the north so yeah it is it's a very nationalistic thing but I would also say that like Boris Johnson and the Conservative government have not only went out of their way to protect soldiers they have thrown victims of IRA and loyalist violence under the bus and basically told them we want to protect the soldiers at all costs so we're going to protect the paramilitaries as well and that is the most bizarre (laughs) Like if you had told me this twenty years ago, you know you never would have believed, you never would have believed it that the the British government would be going out of their way to protect paramilitaries yeah, as well it, as as the British Army. There's a weird thing that happens with identity politics around kind of the fetishization of military and armed forces. Yeah, yeah, and you always said that, Danny. It, it's just it's it. it baffles me. You see it in America with the protect our troops, our support our troops mm-hmm. kind of thing, and. And you see it in Britain as well, and and stuff like this, where it's yeah, I I I can't wrap my head around it. Same I way can't we're relate to it. I yeah. can't relate to it either. I think maybe we just come from a very different country, and we have a very different mindset when it comes to yeah. these things. Um, but it is, yeah, it is an intolerable cruelty, um, that the British government have foisted on us. But it is not the first intolerable cruelty and I don't think it'll be the last yeah I think it's uh, there's a lot to be said for that kind of imperial identity that kind of whole thing of like we were an empire and you know the, the arrogance yeah it's back that. to the little Britain thing now they're all inward looking 
Yeah. I mean, even like they thought they were going to solve the pandemic on their own. Yeah, like, what kind of what kind of brainworms does uh, being an empire or being a superpower give you that you think this once in a lifetime pandemic is going to be solved by you and you alone? It's a very Donald Trump mm. way of thinking, and you notice it as well in England. And it's sad because it is always the most vulnerable communities exactly. that pay the price. Um, yeah. And we will see the the wealth inequality in America and in the UK it just gets wider and wider. Yeah. Um, and while one of their, you know, princes with magic blood is uh, facing all sorts of allegations and potential civil charges because, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the folks across the water aren't having the best time with the money when you think about it. They've got Boris. And then they always had, obviously, the, the royal family. Um, is that kind of, you know, that pride. And there was never really anything. There was different scandals, but never anything of this magnitude so yeah they're definitely going they're going through it lads imagine though like that member of the royal family suing he's now taking a civil case isn't he he is so i yeah. i think he is i i mean listen the man went on that bbc and did that BBC interview against, as what I'm told, the wishes of the royal family mm. and thought he could charm his way out of these allegations. And it was truly... Like, if you made that sketch up, people yeah. wouldn't put it on the TV because they'd be like, no, no, <laughs> that's way, way too unrealistic. And you know the maddest thing I remember about it? Pizza Express? When, he's, when he said... <laughs> no, when he said he was in the Pizza Express... And Woken, the thing I remember most is that the date he gave was my birthday. Ah, <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> the 10th of March. The 10th of March, 2003 or something. So that would have been my 12th birthday. And I was like, <laughs> the thing I always remember the most. <laughs> no way. Jesus, yeah. A pizza express and he is physically unable to sweat. Sweat. Yeah. <laughs> weird. I'd say sweat now anyway. Oh, yeah. oh, big time, yeah, yeah. But he's allowed antiperspirant on to cover it up. Um, the crown should be interesting it, when it gets to those years. Yeah, yeah. Um, Irish journalist of the year, year even more, uh, as I always have on this podcast, is a wonderful experience. And Thank you. Uh, delighted that you've said, yeah, to come back on and that we have signed you up to an exclusive deal where you'll only be coming on this podcast <laughs> for the next three years and obviously the syndication of your book and we get to actually reveal your future scoops before the examinator for the examinator <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ that'll tell you where my head's gone to mm. I've made a bollocks to that so I'm not going to continue it look Eva, okay. thank you get mini eggs Danny. thank you thank, thank you fucking, so much oh, man did I get mini eggs I got two packets for three euro I'm buzzing mini oh, eggs really? I love, love I love a mini egg Mini mm-hmm. eggs are, and do you know what, like I said this to Mara earlier, I think one reason I love them so much is because they're only available for that little window during the year. Mm-hmm. They feel like uh, an actual You can't treat, get sick like, of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. You just want to get a box. I, I'm normally a big advocate for chocolate cone in the fridge or even into the freezer on occasion. Yeah. No, don't put Many eggs get too hard. They're too dense. They can't be kept in the fridge. Yeah, you'll crack your tooth. It's not worth it. Mm. Not into fridge chocolate. That's my public safety announcement for today. Do not put money eggs in the fridge. Money <laughs> eggs. Mini eggs. Yeah. 
Thank Eat you for having me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Annie, do you want to close us out? Where can anyone listen to us? Uh, people can listen to this uh, two-time award-winning audio presentation called What's the Story Podcast. They can get it on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Podcast Republic, anywhere and everywhere the word podcast appears. If you put the letters WTS pod beside it, me and Merlo will pop up smiling at you and welcome you to what is 255 plus episodes of this audio sensation. Excellent. Eva, Grace, Moore, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, boys. Thanks, Eva. There is. Bullards. Bellows.